Mark chapter 6, verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate, desolate place and rest for a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them coming and going and recognised them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we uh, are going to spend a bit of time thinking about that passage from Mark chapter 6 this morning, which is something we regularly do when we meet together as God's people. How's your week been? Anything unusual happened? It's been one of those weeks, hasn't it? A week we'll probably remember for the rest of our lives and we'll, we'll add a few other weeks to those memories over the, over the coming months, I suspect. We've been learning homeschooling this week, as I suspect most families in Australia have. If you didn't respect teachers before this week, you certainly respect them now, don't you? Uh, all that training, all that training cannot be replaced easily. And you get to the end of the day or the end of the week and you feel exhausted. You feel exhausted because you're learning to do things you've never done before. And though it's exhilarating on one level, it's also draining on another. And maybe you've had that question resonating in your head this week. God, do you know my needs? Do you really know what I need right now? Uh, especially in those low moments at the end of the day uh, when all your additional responsibilities, whether it's to do with children or it's to do with work at home or it's the anxiety of what's happening has, has passed through the day. 
and you get to that moment and you sit down on the couch before you go to bed, do you have this thought, God, do you know my needs? It's an interesting question. Uh, in the start of our story this morning in Mark 6, the disciples, uh, we, we didn't read it, but it's already taken place, the disciples have been out doing the work that Jesus asked. And Mark tells us actually they've been doing extraordinary things. There's been a, a list of miracles that they themselves have been doing. It's not just been Jesus. Now the disciples are doing it and they come back excited to Jesus in verse 30 as we read this morning. Excited about what's happened. And, and Jesus discerns something about them. But even before that can happen, the crowds pour in and, and they are working very hard. Since they didn't even really have time to eat or to rest. And Jesus knows something about them before even they know it, which is that they need rest. And so he says in verse 31, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Uh, rest, it's, it's a recurring theme actually in the Bible. Uh, God knows that we need rest. There's a great story in the Old Testament about Elijah, a prophet, who himself had been in a season of great upheaval, national upheaval. He was being persecuted and he was being chased by the king, but he was doing God's work. But he reached a point where he was effectively burnt out and God said to him, you need rest, Elijah. So he seated him, he fed him, he gave him physical rest. Rest is built into the creation mandate. The Bible speaks about the Sabbath rest, about the importance of a day of rest for humanity. That's that was there before even God gave the law to the Israelites. See, the Sabbath rest wasn't just about complying with set of rules. It was God understanding our deepest needs. And so when Jesus says to the disciples, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest, he tells us something very important about God, that God knows your needs. It's interesting, actually, Jesus offers this before the disciples even realize they need it. See, God knows your needs sometimes before you know them. That's an extraordinary truth. There are a lot of religions, a lot of ways of thinking about God in our world, which ultimately leave us unsure about whether God really knows what we need. Is he just distant, uninterested? Well, the Christian message is a constant affirmation. God knows our limitations, actually. He doesn't expect us to be perfect. He wants us to live perfect lives. But he knows our limitations. He knows that we ourselves are not gods. We do not have infinite resources. And so from the beginning, he's always encountered his people with a sense of their needs. And that's something we need to meditate upon at this point in time. Whenever we feel overwhelmed, God knows your needs. He knows your needs. He knows them before you have even realized them. He knows them when you sense a need, but you can't identify it. He knows your needs. Of course, there's a question that's raised in this passage and that's raised in our minds. Even if we're willing to admit that God knows our needs, how will he respond to our needs? How will he respond to our needs? And then something beautiful happens in this passage. You notice Jesus takes the disciples away for the rest that he says they need. He needs too. We know this because early, earlier in Mark's Gospel, as we've been reading it, there have been these moments where Jesus has needed a rest and uh, he hasn't got it. So we sense that by chapter 6, he himself is also exhausted. Jesus needs this. But then the crowds come. They're so eager to be around Jesus. So eager to e e encounter him. 
And Jesus, seeing the crowds, we're told in verse 30, he says, he saw the loud crowd, and what did he do? He cursed, he groaned, he grumbled. No, no, no. He had compassion on them. Jesus had compassion. Because why? He saw that the crowd was like sheep without a shepherd. It's a very interesting description of the crowd. You know, in the Old Testament for Israelites in the past, when they looked at their Old Testament books and Old Testament writings, one of the recurring themes describing Israel's leaders was that they were poor shepherds. In other words, they took advantage of the people. They used the people to build themselves up. But God in the Old Testament is always described as the good shepherd. The good shepherd. Think of Psalm 23. You know that psalm? That great psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Well, that is a reoccurring theme in the Old Testament, that God is the good shepherd. Isaiah 40, great example of Jesus, who, um, of God himself, who is like a shepherd, like a, with a strong arm who draws the sheep close to him. God is the good shepherd. And Jesus, this description of Jesus seeing them like sheep without a shepherd is a reminder that Jesus is in line with God. He is the God who has compassion. He is the God who cares for his people. Jesus doesn't look at his people and groan and grumble about them. He doesn't, he doesn't get upset. But he sees people who are harried and helpless and his heart goes out to them. Are you harried and helpless? Well... Jesus has compassion on you. He has compassion for you. But there is something startling about this passage. <laughs> there is something very startling and challenging and worth reflecting on here. Yes, Jesus has compassion on the crowds who are harried and helpless. But to his exhausted followers, do you see what he says? Verse 37, they come to him. They're overwhelmed by the reality of this huge crowd. They're overwhelmed by trying to feed this crowd. They see, they see a, a tidal weight of need coming their way and their decision is to send the disciples, to send, send the crowd off. I've been given a microphone. Their decision is to send the, uh, the crowd off. But Jesus says to them, verse 37, very challengingly, you give them something to eat. <laughs> you give them something to eat. They look at this crowd, which we finally work out is 5,000 men at least, not including women and children, so perhaps even larger than that. He says, you give them something to eat. This is very interesting, isn't it? It reminds us, I guess, that ultimately faith in Jesus is always something that's lived out, even when we're exhausted. Uh, James chapter 2, verse 17 says, faith by itself is is nothing. It must be accompanied by an action. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, I know you're exhausted, but to follow me means to share your resources with these people, to care for them. It doesn't matter that you're exhausted. To follow me is to pour yourself out in compassion, much like he pours himself out in compassion for the crowds as well. I was this week looking back over the uh, parish history, just I just wanted to know whether perhaps there was, an, there was a record of the Spanish flu that took place in 1918. St. Stephen's is a church that's been in existence since 1870. So what happened to the church during the last time they experienced a pandemic of this level? And I found it a little, a little, uh, a, a little entry in the history about this. 
where, yes, the church was also shut down for a number of months uh, because of the flu, as they described it. But at the same time, the parishioners set up a soup kitchen and they delivered to those who were in need. Now, I'm not suggesting we set up a soup kitchen in contravention with the government's orders, but what is interesting is that these needs have arisen before. These moments have arisen before in our church life, even if we personally have not experienced them. And each time there is a call for God's people to use their resources to bless others. You know, God's response, you see, to a world in need is for his disciples, for his followers to share their resources. And those opportunities exist for us now too. They exist for us here at St. Stephen's. We're going to give you lots of opportunities as a community to serve. For example, one of our parishioners right now is collecting resources. If you received the email this week, collecting resources to help the staff at Royal North Shore. Maybe you can help that way. That's a small thing. We've talked about slipping a note under the door of our neighbours. In fact, one of our parishioners said one of their neighbours offered them this very gift this week and it was, so, it was so well received. Can you do that for someone? Can you slip a note under your door, under the door of someone next to you and care for them? And of course, financially, so many people are struggling in this, but some of us still have our jobs. We still have our incomes. How can we share our resources? How can we share our wealth? How can we be the people who this community looks to? You know, I was talking this week with a member of Willoughby Council and they were just speaking about how important the local church is for caring for people. The government can only do so much. It's organisations like the local church which care for individuals, for the isolated, for the weak, for the old, for the vulnerable. That's our role. That's our responsibility. That's our call. You give them something to eat, said Jesus. And those words are the words to his church right now, in this moment. In this moment. That's our challenge. Now, of course, that's very difficult. For some of you who who are in financial hardship, the thing you're going to have to get comfortable with is asking for help. He's understanding that you are harried and helpless and the Lord wants to be compassionate to you. But for us, even if we have a job, the call to share our resources is a particularly difficult call at this moment in time isn't it even if you still have a job if you still have earning income like a number of people are in our community the call to share our resources leaves us feel anxious doesn't it we can really resonate with the disciples response in verse 37 where they say that would take half a year's wages you can read into what they're saying can't you? you can you can feel the anxiety you can feel the uncertainty you can feel the worry, the idea that they should share their resources at this point with this group with this overwhelming need I mean, when we think about it, given everything that we're experiencing, it is illogical to feel worried about that. Surely the pandemic, surely this experience, this moment has taught us the passing nature of our wealth. That when we try to remain in control of life, actually, we are not in control at all. That all our routines, all of our ways of life that we've set up, they're easily put aside. Surely we've been taught that, and yet... The experience of anxiety and worry when we're asked to share our resources with those in need is felt so powerfully, isn't it? Why is it that? Well, it's because for many of us, I guess for all of us in some way, whether it's our wealth, whether it's our routines, whether it's our, the control over our lifestyle, those things make us feel safe. And anything we do to take them out of the way makes us feel unsafe at times. 
It makes us worried. And yet, the call of Jesus on his people is you give them something to eat. You be compassionate like I am compassionate. So how do we respond the way that Jesus is calling us to? How do we respond the way he wants us to? How do we respond as God's people should in a moment of need? Well, the passage calls us to do two things, and I want us to meditate upon that. The first is, hand it over to Jesus. Hand it over to Jesus. What do I mean by that? See, Jesus says to the disciples, after they've pushed back and they've said, I, uh, we don't have enough to feed 5,000. He says, what do you have? What food do you have? And they, can, they rustle around and they get five loaves and two fish. It's pretty meagre, but it's what they have, and he, he takes it. You see, sometimes we think, first I want to have a generous spirit before I am generous. But it's interesting here. Jesus just asked them to hand over what they do have. Generosity starts with being generous. Who would have thought? It's amazing. Have you ever been to the country? You look up at the sky, you see the most amazing vista, don't you? Thousands and thousands and thousands of stars and constellations which you'd never see in the city. And the reason, of course, is because all the ambient light of the city, all the things that distract you, that take away from that view, have been removed. And one of the things we can learn, I guess, in moments of hardship is how when sometimes the things that distract us are taken away, we get to see real beauty. You know, one of the challenges we have as a Western culture, particularly with hardship and suffering, is we can't see a purpose for it. We've so insulated ourselves from suffering and hardship that we can't see a purpose in it. Now, I can't, ex- I can't tell you why all of this is happening But the Bible's word to us is that sometimes, actually, hardship and suffering takes things away which would otherwise distract us from the true beauty of what God is offering us. I think people sense this even now. Every now and then someone says, well, maybe this will teach us about some of the things we took for granted. Maybe this moment is teaching you something about what is more beautiful in your life than control and wealth and routine and even health, actually, even health, that there are more beautiful things than even that. Hand it over to Jesus. You want to develop a generous spirit? You want to, you want to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus who goes wholeheartedly in? Start by handing over those things which you've been relying on, which, which unless you know you have, you can't go to sleep at night. Hand them over to Jesus. But secondly... What you need to also see is that Jesus feeds us better than we deserve or we can imagine. And that's the reality of the story, isn't it? He takes the five loaves of fish, the five loaves of bread, the two fish, and he thanks God for it, and then he divides it out. And they receive so much more in return than they hand it over. And, I mean, you wonder what the disciples thought at that moment as they're collecting these baskets, and they think, We gave him five loaves of bread and two fish, and now look what we're gathering back. This is the most extraordinary thing. Their hearts must have been aflame with the truth they were experiencing, that God can take poverty and bring about abundance. That God can take poverty and bring about abundance. And this is not a myth, this story. This is not just a great story about Jesus to make us lift our hearts. It's true. There's four different writers who include this story because this is one of the most seminal, powerful moments of Jesus' life. 
And it's not a myth because they are at pains to point out the details of this story so that you won't just write it off as a great, a great untrue story about this guy, Jesus. But see Jesus in action who takes poverty of, of resources and uses them to bless people abundantly. To bless them abundantly. And the key word, actually, in, in the encounter is that the people are satisfied. Do you see that? They're satisfied. doesn't mean just that their stomachs are full, but something deep down in them has been met in this moment. And that is actually the key to Jesus' provision. It's not just a provision about material needs. It's about deep existential needs. John, when he's writing about Jesus' uh, ministry and life, he includes this, an account about this feeding. And afterwards, he uses Jesus' words to explain. He says, I'm the bread of life. If you come to me, you'll never hunger. And his point is this, that Jesus is willing, he's offering to feed us something that will deeply satisfy us. It will give us a peace that passes all understanding. It will make us unshakable. It'll allow us to overcome the storms of life. It will give us stability and deep, lasting security. It will make us not just creatures who have received material needs, but children who have received deep spiritual needs, the love of God himself for us, the assurance that God is for us, the great God is for us. Now, how can this be true? Am I just taking a story and extrapolating a, a principle for you to go and apply to life? No, I'm not, because ultimately this principle is seen most clearly in the life of Jesus Christ himself, isn't it? Jesus Christ, who has this kind of power, that he can feed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish, Jesus, who has this kind of power, ultimately seeks to bless the world and the nations, not through power, but through poverty, doesn't he? He comes into the world as a carpenter. He lives the life of a poor man. He ministers to the crowds out of poverty. And ultimately, he himself is broken. His garments are divided amongst his enemies. But by doing so, he opens the gate to eternal blessing. His death on the cross, this moment of deep poverty, deep suffering, deep hardship, experienced by God himself, is a moment that opens the way to eternal blessings. See, I'm not coming up with a principle out of a story. I'm telling you about the way that God works the way that God wants to work in your life. And you see, to the extent that you believe that, that you believe that Jesus Christ became poor so that you would become rich, it will transform your life. It will. It will transform your capacity to share your resources, whether you have many or you have few. Whatever those resources are, whether they are wealth, whether they are time, whether they are priorities, whether they are even your health, you will be transformed to be a person who's willing to share them. There's a great moment in 2 Corinthians 8 where Paul, talking about the Macedonians, acclaims their generosity. But what does he acclaim their generosity? Why? Because they're wealthy and then they share that wealth? No, actually, because they're poor, but despite they're poor. In fact, in their poverty, they share their wealth. And how can they do that? Because they have perceived in the gospel, the story, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God becoming poor so that the poor might become rich. I want to encourage us this week 
Don't be crippled by fear. Don't be crippled by fear. Cast your eyes on Jesus Christ. Cast your eyes on Jesus Christ who became poor so that you might become rich. And let that change your life this week. Share your resources. Bless the people around you knowing that God has shared his own son with you. Let me pray. Kind Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, for us. The most costly of gifts. We thank you that he came in poverty so that we might experience the richness of the gospel and the assurance that we are children of the kind Heavenly Father. And ultimately, our deepest needs will be met We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would transform us this week by this truth to serve others with our resources. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.